of God that comes to us today comes from the Magi who say, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can look at your neighbor and call them Caspar. Or maybe they look like uh, Balthazar. Or perhaps Melchior. I don't know. What are your neighbors' names? What am I talking about? Those are the traditional names of the Magi. Only three. Do you think there were three? Uh, I've put in a, a piece of art here that signifies that there was probably a lot more than three. Who knows how many there were? Enough to cause a ruckus in the city of Jerusalem. These men from the east who have come, who have wandered all the way here, uh, who are awakened somehow, and who come to worship the newborn king of the Jews. So I said, say hello to your neighbors, and you gave them the name. Maybe you did. Maybe you're like, this is too weird. (laughs) But some of you do look like Magi to me. Well, we can learn a lot from the Magi today. Take what happened to the Magi and own it. Why is the Magi coming, as we see here in art and uh, in the Word of God? What's the big deal? Well, as the Matthew chapter 1 ends, which is not printed in your bulletin, an angel shows up to Joseph, who is afraid because his betrothed wife is somehow pregnant. And the angel says to him that the child in her is from the Holy Spirit, and that you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and that this is to fulfill the word of Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew tells us that Emmanuel means God with us. All right, so God, so Matthew is telling us from the scriptures and and the word that came through the angel that God is with us. Is that great or what? That is the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And then the very next scene, we have some men on the scene and say, well, where is he? Where is this? They don't know he's called God with us, but where is this? One who's to be born king of the Jews. Where is he? Maybe for you that's a burning question. Where where are you, God? Where is Jesus? How can I find him? Well, today I want to bring three words to you, three episodes of this story to apply it to our lives. The first is, I'll say, wandering or wandering. And I think we can think of our own lives, how we've wandered or wandered. And then we see in the Magi, they have an experience where they are awakened. That's a good thing. How did that happen? How does it happen for us? And then lastly, we see them worshiping, worshiping this newborn king. What is that? And so what? And that's what we'll look at today. Those three words, wandering, wandering, and, uh, and then being awakened, and then worshiping. So the first, think of the, the, the magi. How in the world these guys, okay. Anyone get a postcard or a card in the mail that say, or a bumper sticker that says, wise men still seek him? They're good. They're nice, right? Anyone send one of those this year? Nobody? Not this year? Okay. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Wise men still seek him. Well, when these magi show up to Jerusalem asking the king, where is your son? Where is the one who's to be the newborn king of the Jews? No one looks at these magi and think, wow, those are some wise men. No Jewish person is going to look at a Magi and say, wow, what a smart, learned man, a man close to God. 
Not at all. They're going to remember the prophet Daniel who described these magi. Here's five words to describe these magi. And then you tell me, as a good Jewish person, what you think of them. How about this? Magician. Or astrologer. Or sorcerer. Or, you might not know this one, Chaldean. Or soothsayer. Right? Ah, oh, those are the kind of guys to follow, right? No! <laughs> Right? Second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. If these guys are trying to figure it out. We could say that these guys are spiritual, but they're not religious. They're educated, but they don't, they're not clued in. They don't have a God who speaks to them. They're just trying to figure it out, and that's good. But they're figuring it out in ways that are not, they're not correct. They're not from God. And so they show up, and no one says, wise men are seeking the newborn king. They say, these idiots... These fools are looking for the newborn king of the Jews. And I think that's a good reminder for us. <laughs> if you take that personally, that's okay. <laughs> you ought to. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's, it's true. All right. Not, not in an offensive way. All right, we'll get to there. All right. So these, these guys are, are wandering, wandering. How do they get here? Well, we don't know. Perhaps... Uh, People have been thinking about this forever. How do these magi from the east, whether that's uh, Babylon or Persia or whatever, how do, they, how do they come to look for this newborn king of the Jews? You ever wonder about that? It's, just, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Who knows? Some scholars, uh, astronomers, think that there are two planets lined up, Jupiter and Saturn. And, and you can look back in time and say around 6 or 7 BC, these two planets converged. It doesn't happen. Right? It was very unusual. So, so guys who watch the stars notice like something is going on. That's a natural phenomenon. But do you think there are some supernatural things going on with these guys? Absolutely. Something supernatural, uh, more than just two planets converging. I don't know what that supernatural thing is, but if you look at the story of Daniel, there's all kinds of supernatural things there because he is a prophet. All right, so let me tell you the story of Daniel real quick and why this matters. So Daniel uh, and his buddies, they're exported, they're they're taken into exile into Babylon. So they leave their homeland, and they're smart guys, and so they're taken to be servants of the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar. And this King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and it, and it wigs him out. Right? He is freaked out. He's like, I don't know what this means. I'm really scared. And he could normally go to his magi and just say, magi, tell me what this dream means. I'm going to tell you the dream and then come up with it. But he knows he doesn't want just some phony answer because if you tell me your dream, I could tell you what it means, right? Could you tell your neighbors what their dream meant? You could figure out something, right? Just make it up. You could make it up, right? You had, had a bad burrito. This is what it means, right? So Nebuchadnezzar doesn't tell them the dream. He's like, okay, if you are really hearing from the divine, from the other side, tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. And any, none of the magis who are there can do it. They're like, King, you're asking a little bit too much. And then one person shows up who can do it because he's connected to God Most High, and that is our friend Daniel. And he not only tells the king what his dream was, he tells him what it means, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, that's Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 5, this is remembered later on, and it says that Daniel, the queen says this that to his, her, her son because her husband died, Back in the day of your father, there was a man who, who told us these things, who was close to God, and your father made him the head of the Magi, right? 
So did you catch that? Daniel, our prophet Daniel, in times past, at some point in time, was made leader of all the Magi. Pretty cool job, right? Like that's, they're totally different religion, but Daniel as a believer in God most high, in Yahweh, do you think he would use his power for good, his influence for good? Yeah, I think so. And so I don't know how these Magi in Matthew chapter 2 show up, but my theory is that Daniel told them, one is coming, a king to rule all the world. In fact, that's what Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about, a kingdom that would never be shaken. And so he told, told, told them that one would come. In Numbers, I wonder if he told them this, and then we'll move on. In Numbers 24, there's a, a, prophet, a prophecy, and it says this, that uh, it says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So perhaps Daniel told the Magi that one is coming and somehow you can notice him in the stars. I don't know. All that to say the Magi were wondering. And then the Magi start wandering. They start making their way. Do they have it all figured out? No. Do you have loved ones who are wondering, who are wandering, who don't have it all figured out, who are curious and want to know? I think you do. Maybe that's you, half of you. Maybe that's your loved ones. Yeah, these magi come and they don't have all the answers. They know somehow that it, there's a king who is to be born, king of the Jews. They don't know where. So they show up in the capital and they ask the one who is, at least right now, king. He's not really king because he's not Jewish. And he also is set up by the Roman Senate. Uh, the Jews don't like him. He's not really their king. But they show up there and ask him, where is this guy to be born? Where is the one who is to be king of the Jews? And, and we see that uh, he, he tries to pull the wool over their eyes. But he does find out some things. So I just want so to pause there and think for a moment. These magi, they're on a quest. And right now they're only wandering and wandering. And God had started them on this quest. But there's more to this quest. And that is this part of their lives where they are awakened. Right? So they wandered. And they wandered. Now they are awakened. Well, how are they awakened? It's, I'll show you. It's right here. Where, let me ask you this. It's not that hard. Where did they get more information about God? The scriptures, where did that come from for them? King Herod's palace, the scribes know this one to be born, this, this coming king will be born in Bethlehem. They read the prophet Micah. What's that? Okay. All right. I don't know. Sorry. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. She's referring to the living nativity, and my brain was somewhere else. So, yeah. Because you all went through the living nativity. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Yes. Uh, they, they get that information from Sadie and Kenny, who are the scribes at the living nativity. I got it. All right. I need some more information, apparently. <laughs> so they get more information. Is that the only information they get from God? or more about God. That's the most important one, by the way. The scriptures tell us God doesn't want to hide from us. What else? And we can't count on this for ourselves, but in the story, what else do they get? There is an angel that warns them, take off. Because if they just go back, like Herod said, come on back, the boy, the child would be killed because Herod would know where he was. But something else, when they're showing up, they go to, go to Bethlehem. This is where he's going to be born. They don't know where he is. There's lots of houses in Bethlehem. They could probably find him. But what, is the, what does God do? 
he sends the star and it, 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 the way we read it is it's like right over the house. If you're like right over the house, you could definitely see it's not just way up in the sky over Bethlehem. It's right over the house. Does God want to be clear to them? Yeah, absolutely. So God, God comes to reveal himself, to awaken them. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Think about others in the Gospel of Matthew. Just be quick. Joseph, when uh, his wife was pregnant, did he need some more information? Okay, enough said. Did God give him more information? Yeah, he, God did. Uh, we think of uh, others uh, like Simon Peter. He's following Jesus, right? He's, he's wandering along after Jesus. Yeah, he doesn't know who Jesus is. And then we see in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked him, who does, that, who does everybody say I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And does, Peter pat, uh, does Jesus pat him on the back? Not really. He says, yeah, you are blessed. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And why are you blessed? Because the Father revealed this to you. Did Peter just figure it out because he's a smart guy? No, he's really good at, at some things, but he's not really good about knowing the unknown. So God revealed that to him. He, it, he awakened it. And let me just read this. So meditate for a minute. I'm going to read this passage from Jesus, Matthew 11. It's a beautiful passage. It's all about God awakening us. An awakening, we could even say those like the Magi who don't have a lot of insight. Jesus says this. I, he starts with a prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Good news, right? Good news. Who does Jesus reveal that to? Little children, those who are needy, those who are humble. And the, as he says in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who don't have it all together, the ones who don't know, like the Magi, like, I could say, like me and you. So I don't know how God is awakening you, but I pray that, as we just read, that Jesus would continue to reveal himself to you. Right? That's what he has promised to do. Well, lastly, we see that the Magi, wander and wander. They are awakened by God's word and by God's intervention in their life. And then they come and they worship. So what is worship? We see what they do. Right? They come and it says they, they bow down and worship him. I wrote this definition down and it's not complete, but it helps. Worship is an expression in either our attitudes or our gestures that one's complete dependence and devotion towards another person, a higher power. One's complete devotion, and that's carried through in attitudes and gestures. Okay, that was a long definition. I'll have to think about how to shorten that. Anyway, these magi come and they worship. They, they bow down and they give their gifts. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Now think for a moment. Who is Jesus? Not a hard question. Who is Jesus? Jesus. 
He's our Savior, Son of God, King. What? The light. Yeah. Our refuge and strength. Amen. All this good stuff. Is he God? Yeah. God of God, light of light. So I can show you he is God because if he's not God, what they're doing right now is committing idolatry. They're worshiping something that is not God. Matthew implies what they're doing is good. They come on this quest and they worship this one. How do we know it's good? The next, you know, next page of my Bible, Matthew 4, Jesus was just baptized, thrown out in the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil. The devil says, I'm going to give you all the stuff in the world. I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus say? Well, he says, no. And he says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus was already worshipped in the two chapters earlier. You shall only worship the Lord your God, he says. And Jesus was worshipped. And that's not the only time. It's not a one-off in the Gospel of Matthew. You guys remember when Jesus was walking on the water, he gets in the boat, and all the disciples are freaked out. Remember that? Remember what they do? Matthew 14, they worship him when he gets in the boat. Who is this guy? He's not just a guy. He's our God. We see also Matthew 28, Jesus rises from the dead. The women see him. They, they grab his feet, and it says they worship him. And then as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, uh, it says that the disciples, the, the 11, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So Jesus receives this worship, this uh, giving of praise and glory to him. Think for a moment, though. If, if he is God, is anything else, is anything less appropriate? Of course, we should not worship a president or a quarterback or a politician or, or something else or our spouse or our children. But is it appropriate to worship God? Of course, right? Well, as we kind of wind down here, I started with this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, where is he right now? Where is he? He's no longer in that house in Bethlehem, right? Where is he? The right hand of God and everywhere, right? He's everywhere. At the end of this gospel, it starts with God with us. It ends in chapter 28. Lo, I am with you always. He's promised to be with us. Well, well, where? Where is he? All right, I have this. Um, who, anyone in here like a, is a deer hunter? Anybody? Only five of you are deer hunters. Okay, I'm only talking to you five. The rest of you just ignore this, all right? <laughs> I have a poem by C.S. Lewis. He's not really a poet, but he has some things. And here he's talking about hunting. He calls it the noble heart, H-A-R-T, capital H. And this is really trying to, uh, to get to God. And this is what he says. It's, it's not too long. He says this, Yes, you are always everywhere, but I, hunting in such immeasurable forests, could never bring the noble heart to bay. In other words, I could never get to God. The scent was too perplexing for my hounds. Nowhere, sometimes, and then again, everywhere. Other scents, too, seem to them almost the same. Therefore, I turn my back on the unapproachable stars and horizons and all musical sounds, poetry itself, and the winding stare of thought. Leaving the forests where you are pursued in vain. He says, Not even 
but in one particular manner. Weighing so much talking Aramaic, having learned trade, not in all food, not in all bread and wine, not, I mean, as my littleness requires, but, but this wine and this bread, no beauty we could desire. We wouldn't have chosen it this way. Our God would be mighty and powerful, and he'd be easy to approach. But instead, we come to a God who pursues us when we could not find him, right? I'm going to end with this. This is 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him and was raised. So today we come to this altar. We ask, where is he? Well, he's everywhere. By his word, we hear him. We find him by his spirit. But also here, in this bread, in this wine, like the Magi who bowed down and worshipped, we will come to this altar and we'll bow down and worship. And that is not just us pursuing him, but him pursuing us. And in us with open hands. Yeah, we might drop our gold, our incense, our myrrh, but we really have open hands. And we come with faith to this one who gives and gives and gives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.